Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Stimulating talk, fiscal stimulus talks, intensifying, but Leader McConnell still not ready to make a deal. And the vaccine developed by AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford provided protection against severe COVID-19, according to a new peer-reviewed study as intensifying talks in the United States on the regulatory front with regards to a vaccine. We have every angle covered All of that, plus some geopolitics, U.S.-China relations, through the prism of North Korea. I want to talk about North Korea today. The big story in the Washington front, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell suggesting setting aside his top priority of business liability protections in exchange for Democrats dropping their demands for state government aid in a final 2020 pandemic relief package. This according to my colleagues reporting on the Bloomberg terminal. Meanwhile, we've got sound on that particular issue because President-elect Joe Biden is formally introducing his health team, a team that includes California Attorney General uh, Xavier Becerra as Secretary of Health and Human Services. He spoke at Wil- in Wilmington, Delaware, as the vaccination fight continues. Whatever your politics or point of view, mask up for 100 days once we take office. 100 days to make a difference. It's not a political statement. It's a patriotic act. The current occupant of the White House, President Trump, saying earlier today that a vaccine summit was needed in order to convene and encourage the mass utilization of the vaccine once it is approved. If authorized, tens of millions of vaccine doses will be available this month. And we'll get it distributed very quickly. We have that all set and hundreds of millions more will quickly follow. Every American who wants the vaccine will be able to get the vaccine. But on Capitol Hill, all talk running through what has quickly become Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's Washington, D.C., as he now holds all of the cards, essentially, in negotiating a fiscal stimulus deal. I think it's a view shared by literally everybody on both sides of the aisle. We can't leave without doing a COVID bill. The country needs it. It's positive, positive talk. And with that, uh, we should also note Senate Minority Leader Mitch, or Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer equally is optimistic. You can't claim to want bipartisanship while actively demanding the Senate accept partisan legislation. Bipartisan does not mean Democrats much degree to whatever the Republican leader wants on whatever issue he picks. So there you have it. There you have it. Democrats have opposed 
Leader McConnell's insistence on giving up uh, on giving employers a shield from lawsuits while McConnell has been among Republicans blasting Democratic uh, demands for assistance to state and local authorities as a bailout. Gregory Cordy covers all of this for Bloomberg. Gregory, thanks for joining us. I mean, it looks like they are inching closer to a deal. Yeah, this whole uh, COVID negotiation has been one of those classic Washington examples of the parties not being able to agree on the things they agree on because of the things that they disagree on. And so uh, now if we're sort of narrowing the issues by taking this liability provision off the table, by taking aid to state and local governments off the table, and just focusing on direct payments to individuals, uh, that seems to be a possible path forward to getting something done in this lame duck. So, so precisely on the issue of liability protections, I mean, that's something that Leader McConnell has been pressing for for quite some time. I mean, it's even making its way throughout the courts. I mean, you look at where I, where my home state, Pennsylvania, Gregory. I mean, then the Pennsylvania Supreme Court having to, to get involved and to weigh in and, and on some of this. So it's not just the Leader McConnell issue, but businesses of all sizes worried about trying to get their employees back to work while also being on the hook should they contract, uh, should they get COVID 19. No, it's absolutely an issue, uh, but so too is the issue that the, the Democrats are putting forward of state and local governments, uh, which are uh, have seen, in many cases, uh, they're funded by uh, sales taxes, as, of course, retail sales are, are way down during this uh, COVID pandemic. Um, the, the you know government coffers are running dry, and that has very real implications for uh, not just social services, but at some point it starts to affect safety services, uh, police and fire. And, and a lot of those things that we rely on on our, our uh, local governments. So uh, absolutely, I mean, this is not uh, a, a bill that's going to satisfy anybody if indeed this is the path forward, uh, but it is at least uh, begins to provide what Joe Biden has been calling that down payment on getting some immediate relief to people during this long, hard winter uh, before Joe Biden can take office. We'll see what the Senate looks like uh, after January 5th, once the Senate uh, runoffs are decided in Georgia. Um, but at least this would provide a, an immediate short-term boost before some of these bigger issues can be decided. Gregory Cortes with us. He is a Bloomberg National Politics reporter. And, and one of the things that he does so well is really get outside of the belt way. And he knows this from his nine years spent at the reporting for the Cincinnati Enquirer. Uh, and then previously before that, the Akron Beacon Journal. Is, how is this going to play in in Ohio, for example, if there is a down payment, as President-elect Joe Biden is calling it, but they're not able in the first 100 days to get another deal? Because it's looking likely that Republicans are going to still hold on to that majority in the Senate. Yeah, and it's very interesting to hear Joe Biden talk a lot about his first 100 days as if he will get a first 100 days as, as we sort of traditionally understand it. You know, this is the, the yardstick that goes back to Franklin Roosevelt of that yeah. that period at the beginning of a presidential term where a president still has a honeymoon and can get some legislation through Congress. If Democrats don't have control of the the uh, the Senate, and it looks like that's an uphill climb for them at the moment, most of what Joe Biden's going to be able to get done as president is going to be through executive action. So he's talking about you know a hundred days to wear masks, a hundred days to vaccinate people, 
uh, 100 days he wants uh, students back in school, which is a big issue in places like Ohio and, and all throughout the country. Parents are have been spending the past 10 months now with uh, you know their school-age children learning from home, uh, trying to balance working from home and all the other responsibilities with, uh, with their kids at home. And, and so these are all um, absolutely uh, dinner table issues for people. Uh, and I think for, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it, they need that direct aid. They need to pay the mortgage. They need to uh, you know, have some forbearance on uh, mm-hmm. their loan payments. They need to be able to get through They this need winter. certainty. They need a vaccine. Essentially, I mean, look, I mean, and and kidding aside, I mean, we're going to talk about the vaccine coming up. And I was telling our executive producer, Christine Barada, in our show prep meeting this morning, I was I was talking to her just about how the supply chains and Bloomberg does has a, a morning note on supply chains and the vaccine. I mean, in the reporting on that, whether it's the boxes that need to be packaged with dry ice to the syringes to the aircraft carriers that are going to be carrying these vaccines. And then I look at my terminal and the main story right now, Gregory Corti, Bloomberg National Political Reporter, is Biden vows 100 million doses of vaccine within his first 100 days. Subhead, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine effective, but questions remain for the elderly. CVS Walgreens seek pharmacists on the eve of vaccination rush. Uh, Pfizer's vaccine effective on transmission still unknown, according to the FDA. I mean, it's all about the vaccine. I mean, that's what's really driving, not just in the halls of Congress from a policy standpoint, uh, whether you think this is a down payment or the or the fourth quarter of, of economic stimulus before the Republican Party starts talking about deficits again, as one Republican uh, source put it to me earlier today. But regardless, everyone is banking that this rollout on the vaccination front is going to be effective. I was incredibly struck by the comments that Senator Ben Cardin, Democrat from Maryland, made on this program just yesterday in which he said he's got a working group of Republicans and Democrats who are working together to, to allow for funding for there to be a mass education push, a PR push for my words, not his, uh, to, to encourage people about the importance of getting this vaccine. Gregory Cordy, I want to thank you so much for making the time for me, my friend. He is, of course, Bloomberg National Political Reporter. Coming up, we check in with my other colleague, John Authors, the John Authors on the economic front. And as we are talking, a red headline flashing across my Bloomberg terminal, Supreme Court rejects bid to nullify Biden's Pennsylvania win. There we are. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. John Lennon. John Lennon remembered. Our next guest is a huge fan of John Lennon. 
John Authors is his name. He is my colleague, senior editor for Markets and Bloomberg Opinion columnist. John, I, I, this is the anniversary of the passing of uh, of John Lennon. Yeah, the 40th anniversary. He, he would have had his 80th birthday in September, and it's 40 years since his murder today. Yeah. I mean, what does he mean to you? As, a, as another Englishman in New York called John, uh, <laughs> uh, <he's> probably, <laughs> I, I, I do have the photo of, uh, of John Lennon wearing the, wearing his New York T-shirt uh, up in uh, in my room as we speak. Wow. Um, I regard him as probably. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting arguments about who was first among equals in the Beatles, but he is the, the one who has always excited me. And even though I was only what it was for when they broke up, um, you know, being brought up in England at the point when they were so, you know, the, the atmosphere was dripping with the Beatles. You couldn't move for the Beatles. Um, yeah, it, it, it means an, it means an immense amount. It's very, very hard to think of what we lost when he, uh, when he was taken so young. And no, it's, it's I, very sad. I, normally, normally I used to live quite close to strawberry fields, you know, where the, uh, wow. the park for him, uh, and, there would normally be quite a party at this point. Um, people out there with guitars and stuff. I, I don't think such things would be are allowed at the moment. I'm no. not going to check it out, but that's maybe it. next year. Um, yeah. I, uh, you know, I always, I always have this. This is one of my favorite conversation starters, uh, which mm. is who, if you could have, if you could go to a concert of any uh, uh, passed away uh, mm. musical artist, who would it be? And I can never ever pick but well I'm, I'm not gonna lie i'll be honest for me it's frank sinatra i really wish that i could go see a frank sinatra concert but number two is john lennon um and I would, here i, I am would, go ahead yeah <laughs> i would see the beatles yeah no i i respect it i respect it immensely here i am when i hmm. when i woke up this morning and I, I get my wall street journal and it says dylan sells a lifetime's worth of songs for a fortune little did i know the poetry of the anniversary and how music was driving the day. So, John Authors, you just taught yeah. me something as well. Okay, back to work. Uh, yeah. Stocks rose to a record as stimulus talks tempered concern about tougher restrictions amid a surge in coronavirus cases. The S&P 500 mm -hmm. closed at an all-time high after Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell suggested setting aside some issues that have been roadblocks to a relief package. A strategic yeah. retreat, our colleagues on the terminal call it, John, aimed at striking a deal. How do the markets react? Well, the markets have obviously reacted positively. They're reacting positively to quite a lot of different things at the moment. Um, I think, broadly speaking, there has been, you've got a better grasp of, than I have of whether this is justified. There's been a strong underpinning belief that something is going to happen, that, that some kind of a deal will will come together for a, for a long time. Uh, I'm questionable to me that my reading, you know, not being a Washington reporter, my reading is that um, Mitch McConnell is forever getting the number further down. Um, and the lower the number, the less happy the market will be with it, because you know, they want that money to get into people's pockets where it will be spent. But plainly, this is regarded as, uh, as positive. And um, if you add it into the, uh, to the vaccine and to you know all the uh, growing signs of uh, of a real vintage cyclical pickup coming from China and the countries around China, 
yeah, that that it helps explain why in all these horrible conditions on a dreadful day we are uh, we have record stock markets. Well, let's let's talk about what's happening across the pond, as they yeah. say, uh, and with Brexit. <laughs> I mean, it, step yeah. catch us up to speed because we Americans are so self obsessed with our own political system. You know, I finished the, I, John. I got to be honest. Last night, I finished the last episode of the new season of The Crown, so I feel like I'm oh, busting right. off my me. knowledge. I oh, it's yeah. so good. I'm hooked. <laughs> I, I I'm annoyed. Yeah. I said they're calling that a season. There was ten episodes, but anyway, what's going on yeah. with Brexit? Quality rather than quantity, I think, with the crown. Uh, that, that's also <laughs> the eighties. Uh, this season has been sort of my my teenage years. They've been covering it. Um, with Brexit, I, I I have to say my position on Brexit has been, or on this stage of the Brexit talks, has been until now that um, much of what I just mapped out for uh, for the stimulus talks with uh, McConnell and uh, and Pelosi that something will happen that 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 that. Uh, both sides are harmed by a no deal, so some kind of a deal will get um, boxed together at the end. I am getting more nervous about that because it really is getting very late in the day now. Um, you know, this needs to be cleared by every country in Europe for a start by New Year's. That's not going to be easy. Um, and the other thing is that Boris Johnson appears to be losing control of his party. The, the, generally, the assumption had been, obviously, Theresa May was, was operating with, without an overall majority, which is why she ran into so much trouble. Boris Johnson now has quite a comfortable majority and can't be held captive by individual factions within the party, or so we thought. He's managed to get into so much trouble over coronavirus that it's conceivable you'll get a big enough conservative rebellion to uh, to thwart whatever deal he offers. He's, that That is a new twist that I personally and many other people didn't see coming, but it does make it that much harder to get a deal. So one of the if things you don't that get I've... A deal, it's a problem. One of the things that I've learned in, in my interviews with the legendary John Authors, who, of course, previously spent 29 years at the Financial Times uh, and at the Financial Times, uh, and of course, is just a dominant, dominant voice in our industry. He was head of the Lex column and chief uh, markets commentator. Uh, he's also the author of The Fearful Rise of Markets and many other books. But one of the things I learned is that the markets can sometimes be. Uh, as you told me, uh, a clue in terms of it, upcoming trends. So I look at the news flow from what's going on in Brexit to the incoming administration to the dates that are scheduled this week, not just from central banks, but also on the vaccination regulatory front. And then, oh, yeah, fiscal stimulus. What What is really driving the currents of the movements of the market that perhaps we're not, we're not seeing right now? The most important thing that is getting very little attention for good reason is uh, the other side of the, the world, China, and yes. also Korea and Taiwan, that, that they really are. It's, it's not exactly like it was in the heyday, in China's heyday 20 years ago, when they really were taking a lot of manufacturing jobs from the U.S. It's a, it's a subtler model, and it's not as drastic, but they appear now to really be piling on the growth China looks as though its economy will grow this year, despite being the country that first had the uh, the uh, the virus, uh, and that changes a lot of assumptions. 
if you do have that reliable center of growth coming from somewhere, it means people in markets are much more confident to to uh, bet that things will be all right elsewhere. It provides some slack. You could you could call China the buyer of last resort for the rest of the world. You know, somebody somewhere is going to be buying the stuff that Germany and the U.S. make. Interesting. Uh, and we'll be buying the stuff that Latin America digs out of the ground and so on. Uh, and it, that, that, I think, is, well, you, you could argue between that and the vaccine. Those are the critical elements that people are getting excited about now in terms of making people feel comfortable yeah. beating the market up to the We got to leave it there. John Authors, this is my favorite holiday song for John Lennon. I told her, Marufo on the soundboard. I said, you got to play this song for John Authors. This is the one. My parents would play it for me every single holiday season. Thank you, John. I'll catch up with you later. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to John Lennon on Bloomberg 99.1. Bloomberg Sound On is brought to you by Portfolio Analyst, powered by interactive brokers. Savvy investors use Portfolio Analyst to create a consolidated view of their accounts. Sign up for free at PortfolioAnalyst.com. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Lots to cover as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell signals he could step away from liability protections in exchange for dwindling funds to state and local governments. The art of the deal, fiscal stimulus front continues as President-elect Joe Biden says in his first 100 days, he is guaranteeing 100 million vaccines. Lots to get through. And the big story tonight, President-elect Joe Biden vowed Tuesday to get 100 million doses of a coronavirus vaccine distributed to Americans in the first 100 days of his administration. We've got sound on his call to action for all Americans, though, to mask up. Whatever your politics or point of view, mask up for 100 days once we take office. 100 days to make a difference. It's not a political statement. It's a patriotic act. Meanwhile, regulators expected to make very consequential vaccine announcements sometime in the coming days. And President Trump, speaking at what was dubbed a vaccine summit press briefing, announced that he was signing an executive order that would make the coronavirus vaccine prioritize Americans first. If authorized, tens of millions of vaccine doses will be available this month. 
and we'll get it distributed very quickly. We have that all set, and hundreds of millions more will quickly follow. Every American who wants the vaccine will be able to get the vaccine. Thawing tensions on Capitol Hill on the fiscal stimulus front as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell signaled earlier that he is proposing a path forward on COVID relief that would include dropping liability protections, but... Keyword, but to do so, Democrats would have to also concede funding for state and local governments from the proposal. I think it's a view shared by literally everybody on both sides of the aisle. We can't leave without doing a COVID bill. The country needs it. The clock ticking down until lawmakers need to pass a government funding bill by this Friday in order to avert a government shutdown. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer warning about the consequences. You can't claim to want bipartisanship while actively demanding the Senate accept partisan legislation. Bipartisan does not mean Democrats must agree to whatever the Republican leader wants on whatever issue he picks. Amos Sneed is executive vice president at Adferro, strategic communication firm in D.C., and the former spokesperson and press secretary to now former House Republican whip Roy Blunt. Brandon Neal is a Democratic strategist who previously worked in the Obama administration. He is also the former political director for the DNC in 2016 and the former deputy chief of staff and political advisor to Congresswoman Karen Bass, and of course, an advisor to Pete Buttigieg's presidential campaign. Amos, I'm really struck that Leader McConnell is backing away from liability protections. Why? Well, I think if you look at this, Kevin, and by the way, thanks for having us on today. Uh, I, I think it's interesting if you look at the, the Bernie lead letter that came out with the progressive senators. You're just watching more of the Democratic infighting on this. And if you look at it, who are you debating with and what are you offering up for exchange? So I I think you're right that that's driving the day, but I think it's very interesting to look at what the progressive wing in the Senate is doing right now on this topic. Brandon Neal, he mentioned the progressives, but from your perspective, will giving up liability protections from the McConnell camp, will that be enough to bring enough Democrats on board to pass fiscal stimulus? I mean, I think there's room for compromise. I mean, I think, look, at this point, with 187-plus deaths, I think that they recognize, Congress recognizes they've got to do something on behalf of American people. So I think there is an opportunity for compromise. When I look at my Bloomberg terminal and I, and I see that how the vaccinations are beginning in the United Kingdom, on the U.S. regulatory front, uh, U.S. regulators gave early indications that they may grant emergency use authorization to Pfizer's vaccine, calling the shot highly effective with no safety issues. The news came on a day when the number of infections in the U.S., as Brandon, you just mentioned, topped 15 million. From the preview, Brandon, that President-elect Joe Biden gave earlier today in Wilmington, Delaware, the, the first 100 days of his presidency are going to be defined by the rollout of the vaccine. Agreed? Well, I, I, I think it's going to be defined of the uh, rollout of the vaccine, but also I think it's being defined now in terms of his leadership. Uh, he's president-elect. He's not been sworn in office, but has already put together a plan that speaks to uh, wearing masks. It speaks to a plan of vaccination and a plan to opening, reopening schools. That is a, 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 a sign of a leadership, a sign of a plan, and it's much more than we've gotten in the last four years. 
So Amos, I, how do they, but how do they, so let's say they get the fiscal stimulus deal. I mean, Brandon makes a really good point. Let, let's say they get the fiscal stimulus deal, but you've worked in the halls of Congress, Amos. I mean, you know this. Leader McConnell, it typically, it, it, in any other situation, when there's the first 100 days in office, there's a lot of incentive to negotiate. But Leader McConnell staring down what many Republicans feel are strong chances to, to, to make significant inroads in 2022, at least in, in the House. It's, it's a different story in the Senate. But from his perspective, should he be prepping for another round of fiscal stimulus come the, pre- the president-elect's first 100 days in office? Yeah, I mean, I think you should be preparing for it, Kevin, but everyone's going to pay attention to what happens in Georgia and what does the Senate look like post that. I mean, I think if you, I, I, I'm a messaging communications person, so I think of this in terms of moments, right? Like you have a moment right now for the pharmaceutical industry to come up as a hero, and you have a moment right now that this incoming administration, it will define the first 100 days. It could define the first year. Their response on COVID and how they roll out vaccines, whether Team Biden wants it or not, will define their first 100 days in this office. So, I, And that's what I just find so interesting, is that from the, from the conversation, Brandon Neal, that President-elect Joe Biden gave earlier today, uh, it, it's making, in the first 100 days, should this vaccine get rolled out effectively, as we're all anticipating that it will, it's educating the public to accept the, the vaccine, to, to, to deploy the vaccine, providing schools the ability to, to get their students back into the classroom. I mean, that's what I, that, when I, when I say it's going to be defined by this vaccine, it, it's really going to be defined by getting Americans back to some sense of normalcy after a year of, of, of incredible uncertainty, Brandon Neal. Absolutely. I mean, again, it speaks to proven leadership. If we're able to get some type of leadership and some type of plan together before he's even sworn in on January 20th, imagine how effective and what the plan will be after January 20th. I mean, today he's even gone as far as to announce his health care uh, team and his new team and obviously, you know, announcing the first generation American uh, 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 Secretary Becerra, hopefully, uh, will be the highest ranking Mexican in America in the federal government. He's also highlighted some other individuals as well, too, as his picks with Vivek uh, Murthy as the Surgeon General, the nation's doctor, Michelle Walensky, CDC infectious disease expert. Again, our guy, Tony Fauci, someone who we all know, Dr. Fauci, uh, who's no stranger to this. And then also uh, Marcella Nunez-Smith, who's going to be the COVID Equity Task Force Advisor and Chair, which I think speaks to some of the systemic problems we've seen with this whole pandemic and how it disproportionately affects people of color. So I think he has rolled out a uh, wonderful plan in terms of identifying the right people to help uh, pull America back together on this issue. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about another one of those picks, of retired Army General Lloyd Austin, who President-elect Joe Biden has nominated as his defense secretary. That's coming up next. Panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. How about the Washington football team? Did you see that game? They beat the Steelers. My best friend in the world, he's a huge Steelers fan. Uh, and and I said, I, I didn't <laughs> 
<laughs> you looked worse than the, than the Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, I, I'm just going to leave it there. But uh, my panel with me for the hour, we're very grateful. Amos Sneed. Amos, are you are you a Washington football team fan or no? I, I, I don't know because D.C. is hard. It's hard to figure out because no one's from D.C. that is in this world. <laughs> So Kevin, by, by marriage, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. I, oh. My wife is a Ravens fan. If, if she'll be an Alabama fan on Saturdays, I can cheer for Baltimore on Sundays. I, That's how I we can, live right now. I can get down with Baltimore when they bring out the yeah. Old Bay on the fries. Brandon Neal, are you a Washington football team uh, fan? So I will say my dad is a former retired NFL player who played for the Jets. So I'm always Team Jets, baby. Okay. I mean, I, I do respect that. You always got to be loyal to your dad. I, I respect that. Uh, Nick Sorali was not in the NFL, but uh, we love him. We love him anyway. Um, <laughs> how do I pivot, Christine Barada? How do I get back on track? Okay. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden. I'm just going to go with it. President-elect Joe Biden said Tuesday he plans to nominate retired Army General Lloyd Austin as defense secretary, a move that would make him the first black leader of the U.S. military if he can assuage lawmakers' concerns about waiving a restriction designed to preserve civilian control of the Pentagon. Uh, Can he do that? Brandon Neal. Yeah, I think he can. Why not? We've done it for uh, uh, past secretaries. I mean, I think the great thing about General Austin is that he has 40 years of service uh, uh, to this country. He'll be the first black person to lead the Pentagon. How exciting. Breaking barriers. Um, you know, this is not his first time as a four-star officer who would also, you know, just bring something different. So I think it's also consistent, too, what the Biden administration uh, campaigned on and making sure it's the most diverse uh, diverse uh, cabinet that we've had in this, in this, in this uh, country's history. So I think it's a good thing. And I think that he would definitely um, get by, and I'm excited. Do you think he's going to get by, Amos? Because I'll be honest, this I, I sense some trouble that uh, for, for him, especially because of this issue regarding the waiver. There, there could be potential trouble, Kevin, but I, I want to take a step back. Think about how they're rolling these out. I mean, I was one of the the folks on the sidelines that said the Biden campaign didn't have him out there enough and they weren't driving the news enough. But it, it looks like from a communication standpoint, they're much better at governing than they are campaigning because this has all been well-coordinated. Each rollout, each announcement a day or two, you see allies, it's, it's, it's really well done. That's Jen Psaki. I mean, look, I mean, there's no way to look at this without yeah. knowing that Jen Psaki is uh, really driving the force on this, Brandon. I mean, she's just been, you know, a, oh. objectively speaking, Republican or Democrat, really a strong, strong force uh, in terms of the rollout uh uh, on this front with and, Jen Psaki. And how exciting. Uh, Jen Psaki is a, a friend. Uh, she and I worked together the first Obama campaign. We're both from the same home state of Connecticut, and I've, uh, I'm happy to call her a friend. Very excited for her. Uh, also very excited to another friend, Kareem Jean, uh, Jean Pierre, who John mm. Pierre, excuse me, who's also joining her team. And then also excited about uh, my good friend Simone Sanders as well in addition to Ashley Etienne. So I think this is a great rollout, and it's exciting to see um, uh, an all-female cast. 
but to uh, talk doing their thing and leading the way. To bring it back to uh, to to Austin and this nomination to be eligible for the job, reading from the terminal, Austin would need a waiver from Congress of a law that bars military officers from leading the Defense Department within seven years of retiring. The reason, folks, that they have this rule is so that the Defense Department doesn't become uh, uh, so that there's so that there's civilian influence in the in the defense. Uh, department world and it's a it's a well-intentioned uh rule but as brandon pointed out the trump administration was able if someone has something on turn it off uh thank you uh if the uh the trump administration uh got a waiver and so austin had retired in 2016 but some lawmakers already have said that they don't have the move and others express concern. Amos, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if Jack Reed is going to be able to uh, get enough Republicans on board to do this waiver. Well, doesn't every administration roll out one or two secretaries that just don't make it over that first hump uh, of the first test and the, the first media uh, under the microscope? So maybe this is it. I mean, I don't know. I think there's been some other ones that have rolled out. And what's been interesting to me as a Republican watching this uh, just the factions in the Democratic Party, like as soon as a, a slate comes out of new nominees, you see the Justice Democrats, AOC's group, and you see the Sunrise Movement on climate change come out and start blasting some of these potential lists. So, Kevin, maybe this is the first one, but I, I think it's definitely worth watching. So and, and that's what I just don't know is typically and, and Amos, I'll come back to you here. And typically Republicans or the opposition party would would seek to present a significant hurdle for one of the nominations. I can't figure out based on the conversations I'm having who that nomination pick will be that they block. Who do you think? I, I would not dare make that prediction right now. <laughs> Why? No one... I, I, I do think what's interesting is, you know, the Biden-McConnell relationship. Like, they're, like, sneaky close in what gets through and what doesn't. <laughs> um, and that, I think if you want to go back historically and look at some previous nominations and how the Senate voted on some of those, maybe some transportation secretaries and see if any of that carries over into today's time. But um, I'm not dare taking that bait, Kevin. Go ahead, Brandon. Who do you think? <laughs> Who worries sure, I, you? you know, uh, I, you know, I, I agree with Amos on this one. I mean, I definitely think that... See what you know, I did there? Thing, I have to interrupt. See what I did there? I got Amos and Brandon to agree. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Well, look, I, seriously, I, I think that you, know, you look at uh, Senator Harris and also Senator uh, President-elect Biden's long history in the Senate. They have been in the Senate for a long time, and they're good at compromise. They're good at relationship building, and I think that... Uh, they're going to do their due diligence on making sure that, you know, politically everything's taken care of and talking to the right people. So I, I, I think that people have got to remember that, uh, that they actually come from the Senate. And I think they have more friends and more people that like them than people think. Well, it's 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 really, really going to be fascinating to watch the president-elect work with the likely Senate majority leader and that dynamic. And, and we'll talk about that, of course, in not just in this program, but also uh, in the weeks and months ahead, because it will definitely be the overarching uh, backdrop scenery that will shape Washington, D.C. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
Georgia. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I've been thinking a lot about Georgia, as we all have gotten to know the upcoming January 5th runoff, but the history of Georgia, the last of the American colonies to be settled, uh, or the British colonies at the time, uh, back in the 1700s. Uh, and 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 really a remarkable, remarkable history in that particular state. But I'm struck by a town called Warm Springs in Georgia. And in 1944, there was a toddler who was recovering from polio in the same town that now former president Franklin Delano Roosevelt was also being treated to for for his for his polio. That little kid was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And it's where President-elect Joe Biden gave a closing argument speech as he sought to evoke FDR and evoke the form of unity in terms of the spending fiscal stimulus, not just from getting the country back on track, but from the type of transformational change that can happen at a structural level uh, in that type of presidency. And that's what he sought to do. And so I say all of this because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and President-elect Joe Biden have a deep, deep history, both in overcoming personal grief and also in how their childhoods shaped the leaders that they are. Brandon Neal is with me, Democratic strategist who previously worked in the Obama administration and was also a senior advisor to Pete Buttigieg's presidential campaign. Amos Sneed also with me. He's the executive vice president at Adferro and a strategic communications firm in D.C. Uh, and he previously worked uh, for many Republicans in the House of Representatives. I, I, I really do think that we cannot... I think it'll be the subject of books. The, it, it, we cannot underscore just how important the dynamic between Leader McConnell and a President Biden will be Brandon Neal. No, I agree. I think that uh, they definitely have a relationship and, and, and an understanding that uh, we, we, don't, we don't necessarily see and we don't know about. I mean, they have a, a brotherhood, so to speak, of 40 years of serving together. Um, and, and, and understanding each other. So I think when it comes to uh, compromise and I think when coming together, I think we'll see a lot more um, unity um, and extension on the other side of the aisle. But you mentioned Georgia real quick. I've just got to say uh, there's a lot of history there in Georgia. And actually the last day, uh, right before we made the announcement that Pete was going to end the campaign, we actually had breakfast in Plains, Georgia, with former President Jimmy Carter. So when wow. I think of Georgia, I think of so many historic and so many relevant pieces. But we got to add that to a piece of history as well, too. It's fascinating. It's it's really, really fascinating to watch. Okay, I mean, that's a great little tidbit, too. It's time now for my favorite part of the program. What is on the panel's radar? Amos, I'll come to you second because I know you've got a good one. Uh, Brandon, I don't know. Maybe you maybe, maybe Brandon's is better. So maybe I just kind of upstaged Brandon. I feel bad now. <laughs> I apologize. First apology I've ever issued on air. Bloomberg Radio, sound on. Brandon, what's on your radar? All right, so rounding off my radar is basically rounding out the, the, the cabinet the rest of the cabinet, but those cabinet appointees who are under the radar, uh, who may not be a national name, but the subject matter experts and people 
uh, in the industry loved him, i.e. Chris Liu, who was deputy secretary of the Obama administration uh, as, as labor and uh, as a subject matter expert, and also someone like a John Sakari, who was also deputy secretary, who I had a chance to work with on the Obama administration. Um, who actually led Maryland's DOT uh, and very supported by labor as well. Um, it'll be interesting because I think he would also make a great transportation secretary. So I think uh, what's on my radar is seeing who on the subject matter expert level will be picked to round out the cabinet. Well, what about Wally Adeyemo as Deputy Treasury Secretary? That's a name that we've now frequently talked about on this program. But there's someone who is a really big, dynamic force that's really going to be incredibly influential in shaping not just the domestic portfolio of the Treasury Department, but also the international part of of likely Secretary Yellen's uh, portfolio. Uh, for for sanctions, for tariffs, for CFIUS, for and whatnot. Wally Adeyemo, having previously led the Obama Foundation in his late 30s, a really dynamic force. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's definitely rounding out the great economic development team. So I think uh, someone like 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 Wally, um, and again, going back to the two individuals who I mentioned, you know, who are under the radar. You know, uh, very similar to uh, to Wally. It may not be a national household name yet. But people in D.C. know, but people in the industry really, really know as well, too. But that's a perfect example of someone who I think, um, you know, that that is on the same track of what the administration is identifying. Again, for our listeners, I've said it before. Learn the name Wally Adeyemo. Uh, Amos Sneed, what or what's on your radar? Uh, Kevin, what's always on my radar in Washington are just staff and staff moves and what staff are going with new administrations. But what is on my radar now for 2020, and I think we're all going to have to look at this for years to come, schools. I mean, if you think about it, D.C., New York, Alexandria, Virginia, public schools, our our kids haven't been in classes since last March. Uh, What does that mean? When do we go back? Uh, What is the impact and how do we address this for years to come? And I think from all levels, from elementary to some of our our college students, uh, it's something regardless of Republican or Democrat or who's in office as society in the United States, we're going to have to look at this for years to come. Maybe it's because I'm older, but I, I hate to be a pessimist. But do you think that the debate, I mean, I know you said regardless of political party, but typically so many of these debates fall along party lines, the solutions that each party has to this problem. You know Republicans are going to say this is an opportunity for there to be more access to uh, uh, charter schools and and whatnot. Uh, And you know that, as we're seeing right now, Democrats are going to argue for more funding for public schools. But do you think there's an opportunity to look at how education as a whole, structurally, just practically speaking, can be modernized in a way that it, it, that, that is a nonpartisan issue, or is that a pipe dream? You know, what if we did it and we just made sure that no child was left behind, Kevin? I think it could work. <laughs> it's an idea. We could go for it. Let's address this federally. Let's override this. Thing. No, I, I, uh, I, even hear, I even hear Brandon laughing at that. Go ahead. Again, I brought him together again. Go ahead. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, really, you're a political wizard. You bring these people together. I know. Yes. I like it. I like it. I here. try. It's like, you know, it's almost like that's what I'm good at. I always, I've been saying to, to my friend Tammy Haddad, who's been on the show, a bunch in a bunch listen to me several times uh in in the past uh, week or so and i said i miss having fun you know i gotta get people on the air who are having fun it's been such a heavy year you know what i mean we all need to yeah. just really embrace that light and just you know i'm not on the Cirilli soapbox or anything but look my eagles are
are in the t- toilet, and Jail- we got a backup quarterback that I'm suddenly passionate about starting this Sunday. So I gotta, I gotta lighten it up. You know what's on my radar? Speaking, <laughs> speaking of, of things that, uh, that again are are. Again, sad, but Chuck Yeager, test pilot who broke the sound barrier, passed away at 97. But this was a World War II. uh, 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 He is a retired Air Force. I'm going to read from the Associated Press because it's a a remarkable obituary, and he is a remarkable true American patriot. Retired Air Force uh, General Charles Chuck Yeager, the World War II fighter pilot, ace and quintessential test pilot who showed he had the right stuff, when in 1947 he became the first person to fly faster than sound, has died. He was 97. Jaeger died Monday, and his wife uh, said via Twitter. Um, you know, I love this quote from him that one of my friends posted. Uh, where else but on on the IG? Uh, and he's. this was the quote. You do what you can for as long as you can. And when you finally can't, you do the next best thing. You back up, but you don't give up. Really a truly, truly remarkable, remarkable American. I know I have to let both of you go. You've been so generous with your time. So thank you, Brandon Neal. Thank you to Amos Sneed uh, for uh, doing this. I appreciate it. Coming up next, we head on to Pennsylvania, my home state, not to talk football, but to talk about what's been going on with regards to the election. Election. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Breaking news, Supreme Court rejecting a bid to nullify the results of the Pennsylvania election. My colleague Greg Storr, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter, is all over the story. What just broke Gregory Storr? Well, as you said, the Supreme Court rejected uh, a bid by Republican allies of, of Donald Trump to toss out uh, Pennsylvania's certification of its election results for Joe Biden. It is the first time the Supreme Court, as a full court, has acted after the election on any of the, the challenges to Biden's victory. Uh, one sentence order, but the court said an awful lot with that one sentence. I'm reading your report on the Bloomberg Terminal. You must have literally just filed it and called in, so I very much appreciate you uh, truly making the time for me. This U.S. Supreme Court dealt a sharp blow to President Donald Trump's effort to overturn the election results, rejecting a request by some of his Republican allies to nullify President-elect Joe Biden's victory in Pennsylvania. The rebuff came without explanation and with no noted dissents. That's the part I want to focus on. No noted dissents. So did they all agree? Was this unanimous? Well, we can't say it's unanimous 
because it's always possible a justice dissented privately, wanted to grant a request, and just chose not to make his or her dissent public. So we don't know that for sure. But it is certainly significant that uh, nobody wanted to make it public. It uh, sends a much clearer message this way without anybody saying that they would have intervened. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, there, obviously Donald Trump has been uh, banking on this Supreme Court, which has three Trump appointees to, uh, to, to shift the election for him, and none of them uh, chose to speak up. So there were so, there have been, I think, 38-plus cases, that I guess 39 now, cases that have been tossed out by various courts uh, across the country. But for this, the Supreme Court, remind us of what this case was, because it, it really was the, they wanted, the Republicans were arguing that that the state had exceeded their power by allowing universal mail-in voting for the 2020 election. But what was what was the president's campaign arguing for Pennsylvania? So the president's campaign was not involved in this particular case. Publicly. (laughs) Publicly, exactly, exactly. They're making very similar arguments in other courts, but this particular one was Republican lawmakers, including U.S. Representative Mike Kelly, uh, were pressing this argument. And they, they, they made it up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, that's ridiculous, you waited way too long to file this suit, and... Uh, you know, you're, you're seeking something extraordinary for us. You're asking us to throw out this entire election, uh, you know, all these 7 million Pennsylvanians who, who, who voted. Um, and then the Republicans turned to the, the U.S. Supreme Court, asking them to, to intervene. And um, <laughs> they actually, I just as a, a tangent here, the, the, the Republicans actually messed up originally. They went to the Supreme Court before they went to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, no, you've got to go to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court first. Now that they've done that, the U.S. Supreme Court has rejected them as well. I want to rip up the script because it's the eve of, of my friend, my mentor here at Bloomberg's uh, birthday, his uh, birthday, Tom Keene's birthday is oh. tomorrow. Uh, and I want to rip up the script because that's what he always says to do. You know, I, I see all of these cases. Let's, but let's cut to the chase, because because the bottom line is, the Supreme Court, with justices whom President Trump appointed, got confirmed. They didn't want to have the any public dissents, and they didn't offer an explanation. Flash forward ten, twenty, thirty years from now, when this is just a footnote in history, this particular case. But it will be a footnote in history in part because there's not any narrative that comes from this particular case. Talk about this in a historical prism. Well, you know, one thing I think about is like Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, That was a unanimous decision, and it had a lot more weight because it was unanimous. Um, In this context, of course, we can't say it was unanimous, as we were discussing earlier, uh, but had you had one or two or three justices say, hey, we actually would have agreed with the Republicans and we would have uh, tossed out the the Pennsylvania results or at least considered doing so, uh, then that would have, uh, you know, left uh, a taste that it was really a disputed issue. Uh, At this point, it doesn't seem like there's any dispute here. Uh, Joe Biden has won the election. The Republicans in this case did not have any claims that the Supreme Court deemed worthy of uh, of, uh, saying they agreed with, uh, none none of the justices. And it sends a, a, a pretty clear message. 
It, it sends a me- what does it do for the institution as a whole of the Supreme Court? Because well, months ago you were on this program with me and we were talking about all oh, this is, you know, everyone, not just us, but, the, you know, that this is going to be a, a massive test for the institution of the Supreme Court and whatnot. But here we are uh, in December, a couple more weeks left in the year, and the Supreme Court has not been that politicized in a way that we had all predicted it could happen akin to the 2000 election, for example. Absolutely. You know, Donald Trump spent a lot of time saying that, that his Supreme Court justices and the court as a whole were going to uh, resolve this election in his favor. Uh, that is something I can't imagine any of the justices wanted to hear, even the most conservative of them wanted to hear, uh, because they, they think of themselves as people who rule on the law, not in terms of, of politics. Um, they were helped. Let's be, let, let's be fair here, though. The, the Supreme Court justices were helped by the fact that this was not an especially close election. Even if they had overturned the Pennsylvania results in this case, imagine that. Um, Donald Trump is still two states short of, of winning the presidential election. It's not like the Supreme Court was actually going to do anything. If we had had a situation like what we had in 2000, a much closer election, uh, a discrete legal issue that people might, in good faith might have disagreed on, then it might have well have been a very different situation. But here, uh, no justice was willing to, to go so far out, uh, on the limb as, as Donald Trump and his allies are doing. Breaking news, red headline, crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin says he has presented Speaker Pelosi with a $916 billion fiscal aid proposal. Again, Secretary Mnuchin tweeting out that he has presented Speaker Pelosi with a $916 billion fiscal aid proposal. That would appear uh, that the proposal has $600 checks per adult and child, according to uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Again, the proposal has $600 checks per adult and child in terms of those stimulus checks. Uh, so we're carefully monitoring that story. But uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin has presented a $916 billion fiscal stimulus plan to uh, Speaker Pelosi, a significant, significant step in terms of these uh, ongoing negotiations. I've got one more question for you and one more minute. Greg uh, Astore, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter. I, I really just want to get uh, your your to pick your brain. I wish I had more time on the legal and supreme potential for Supreme Court cases around vaccinations and the legalities of those issues. Is there any prediction that certain some some of these cases could end up in the Supreme Court? Um, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to think too much about that, Kevin. I would say in this litigious country with as, as controversial as uh, COVID steps and vaccination uh, have been, uh, I, I think there's a, a very good likelihood. It's hard to imagine exactly what that case might look like. I think it could be the certificates and the process of, of, of presenting uh, and access to do things based upon uh, proving that you have had a vaccine. I think that's where the legality and the judicial front is going to be very interesting. And then I will, I be my colleague, Greg Store to find out what is going on. Greg, thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time. Truly, I know it's been a very busy last hour for you, so I appreciate the time. That does it for me. Thank you for listening. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. It's easy if you try No help
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.